We've got a special treat today. Uh, Randy kind of gave us a little bit of it away wearing his box. I don't know if you've been to Costco yet, uh, but it's been several weeks now that they've had all their Christmas stuff out. Um, and this is the kind of thing we have to get ahead of, way ahead of time, if, if, if we're going to get it to the people we're trying to get it to by Christmas. So uh, we're talking today about uh, Operation Christmas Child, which is something we've been involved in for years now. And we have really stepped up our involvement this year. Randy has become uh, connected with them in a more uh, official capacity. And we're actually this year going to be the drop-off point. Um, for, for uh, this area, uh, for people bringing boxes. So uh, we uh, also, because of this connection, uh, have today the opportunity to hear from someone who actually has something to say about how this program has affected them personally. We have Moises with us today, who is originally from El Salvador, and he's going to be sharing with us today his story uh, and how this Operation Christmas Child impacted him. So I'll just let him come on up and share. Good morning. Um, it's, it's been such a beautiful morning. This is my first time coming to this church. And I was here to hear my friend Dioni speak early this morning in the Spanish service. And I don't know if you guys have actually been to the Spanish service, but worship was amazing. I, I mean, I was, I was singing and I was dancing at the same time. It was just truly beautiful. So if you get a chance to go into the Spanish service, I encourage you to do so because you will be singing and also dancing. Uh, <laughs> But this morning, I do have the privilege to share a little bit about what the Lord has done in my life and what He continues to do in my life. Um, before I begin, I always like to remind you guys that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Him, and I wouldn't be here without Him. Um, just like the pastor said, my name is Moises Grosinger, and I'm 21 years old. I was born in El Salvador, but sadly, if you were to ask me anything about my country, I would not be able to tell you anything. Not, to, not be able to tell you anything. You see, I, I was raised in an orphanage, so I didn't have the opportunity to know my parents. I didn't have the opportunity to wake up and see my mom and dad. My, my first memory actually was waking up and seeing so many boys, uh, so many beds everywhere. I saw them to my right and to my left and in front of me. And I remember, that's weird. There's, there's many beds, but there's no kids. Well, I needed to get outside in order to see the other kids because there were a lot of boys and girls there. And I didn't know at the time why we were all there, but I, I soon enough got to know that we were all there because our own parents put us there. Um, and for some of the kids, they were there because they were founded on the streets. And you could imagine how hard that was of just not knowing where my parents were. I wanted to know my mother's eyes. I wanted to know if I had her hair, if I had her nose, her smile. I wanted to know everything about my parents, but I sadly didn't get that chance. And so it, it was very tough. It was very tough. And um, my orphanage was very close up from my country. Um, it was gated, and we had two armed men in the entryway. We had four big houses, and then we had a dining hall where we all ate our meals. And then we also had an office where things happened in there as well. And the first house uh, was for teenage boys. The house next to it was for teenage girls. And the house next to that was for 10 and under girls. And the house next to that one was for 10 and under boys. And that's the house that I lived in. 
Now, I didn't, I didn't like living in there because I always saw myself as one of the biggest kids. But I was only six years old, and uh, Latino men are truly not tall. They're very tiny. So I was very small, wanting to be in the teenage home. And so being in the oldest home at just six years old, at my own home, I had many responsibilities to do. At six years old, you had a little boy washing clothes and washing bed sheets. And no, we didn't have any fancy washing machine that we could just put it on and press a button. Uh, I actually had to rub it against concrete and then hang them up to air dry. Another thing I had to do was wake up early before anyone was up to water plants. Now, I know what you're thinking, waking up early. Well, I'm not really a morning person and I really love my sleep. So um, I didn't really enjoy that responsibility I had to do. But another, another thing I had to do was kill chickens. You had a six-year-old boy killing chickens in order to raise money for the orphanage. And even though those challenges were physically demanding, my biggest challenge in the orphanage was not physically, but was emotionally. You see, not growing up with my parents, not knowing anything about them was truly hard for me. And I remember asking myself, if I wasn't good enough for my own family, would I ever be good enough for anyone else? And what made, it, what made the situation worse was that every Sunday after service, parents would come into the orphanage and they would spend time with their kids. They would bring them toys, they would bring them clothes and food and just enjoy each other's presence. So I waited in my home and I looked into my mirror to see if my parents were going to come to see me. I waited and waited every Sunday for my parents to come, but that day never came. I saw so many, uh, some of the other boys in my home enjoying their time and coming back home and having these toys and having this food. Luckily, everything in the orphanage was shared. So their new clothes was also my clothes. Their food was also my food. So I got lucky. But also, it was truly hard to not have that opportunity for my parents to come after Sundays. So I hated, I hated Sundays because I, that was just another reminder that after church service, it was a reminder that my parents were not going to be there. Um, so I found things that I enjoy. I, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something so I can be happy and, and not focus on that. So that's where I found my joy for soccer. We had a big soccer field, and that's where I got to actually hang out with the bigger kids. And I, I would come, and I would go, come and play with them, and they would pass me the ball, and I would swing, and then I wouldn't kick the ball. I would just fall and cry. <laughs> but it was truly, truly uh, a moment of just joy because I, I love being with the bigger kids. I grew tough skin because of that. One of my other favorite things I enjoyed doing was we had big coconut trees, and we had big mangoes as well. Uh, and orange trees. So you had a six-year-old boy without a shirt, without shoes, climbing these trees and getting that fruit. I had many scratches on my, on my chest. I had some bruises on my head, but it was truly worth it to just climb up there, grab that fresh fruit, and just take a bite of it. But there were some days that I truly couldn't do anything about my parents. My birthday, Christmas. I never received a birthday cake, nor did I receive any gifts. And, and that's, that's, those were days that I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. That, that, that day was just a day like, well, I'm going to be seven years old, and my parents are not going to be there. I'm not going to be celebrated. 
Everything changed one day when we were told that there was going to be people coming to our home to bring us gifts. Now I'm thinking this is something I'm not going to be part of because I don't have any family. But as Jacob making their way to the big house first, all you hear is joy. All you hear is laughter. And I'm thinking, well, am I going to feel that way or am I just going to hear about it? They start making, the, they start making their way to the girls' home into the other uh, little home, and then they came to my home. I remember just looking down, not truly knowing if this is something that I was going to be part of. And they told us to sit down on the kitchen floor, and they started putting red, red and green shoebox gift on the kitchen table. And many things were said that day, but I don't remember much. But what I do remember was the phrase that they told us, that Jesus loves you. And even though that, that phrase was so powerful, at that time I was thinking maybe they meant Jesus loves those who have parents. Who is this Jesus guy? He doesn't love me. I don't have any parents. I don't think that, that, that phrase was for me. Uh, so they told us to line up to receive this gift. Every, every other boy started lighting up and uh, I was actually on my way to my room with my head down because I truly didn't think this was something for me. So as I'm, wa- uh, as I'm walking away, there was a man who was distributing the boxes who munches me back and asked me the question, where are you going? You don't have a shoebox yet. I quickly replied, but I don't have any parents. He just smiled at me. He took me by the arm and he directed me where the shoebox gifts were. And with a smile on his face, he looks me directly in my eye. And he tells me, Jesus loves you, Moises. Jesus te ama, Moises. And he hands me my very first gift. And as I'm holding my gift, I look, I look at the gift, and I'm looking back at him, and I look down, and I'm like, is this truly mine? And as I'm holding it back, I, as I grab it from him, I start walking with my gift. But as I'm walking away where the other kids were, I'm looking back at the man who just handed me the shoebox to see if he was going to come and take it back. Now, he knew what I was thinking, so he just smiled and waited for the countdown to happen. And then all you hear was, three, two, one. And then, whew, it was silent. It was like one second of silence, where it was just silent, and then pure joy. There were people, there were kids screaming, there were many happy faces, there were tears that day of just happiness. Now, instead of opening my box, just like the other kids did, I take my shoebox gift to a corner of the room where no other boy was, where there was no water puddles near me, and I come to open up my shoebox gift and I open it and I, when I open it I see a soccer ball a soccer ball like I, I play soccer ball in that, in that field in the orphanage who knew that my love for soccer was so deep that they put a soccer ball in my box now there were many days that we played soccer but there were many days that we actually didn't have a soccer ball so we waited weeks, months in order to get a new soccer ball so to have my very own soccer ball and my shoebox gift was so, so special. So special. I also received a slinky, some colored pencils and color, um, colorful books. And I also received the greatest gift booklet. 
the greatest gift booklet is stories of the Bible, um, and it came in my very own um, in my very own language. I remember just putting it aside because I was just too focused on my first gift. Like this is my gift, guys. I remember taking this shoebox to the toilet. I wasn't gonna let other kids come and take it, so I took it when I used the bathroom. I took it where I, when I went to sleep, and I make sure I covered up with my blanket. Because this was my gift. This was something that someone gave to me. I took it when I played soccer. I remember holding it and running, trying to kick the soccer ball. <laughs> but it was, it was a day of joy. Nothing could have gone wrong that day that could take the smiles of those kids' faces. Nothing could have gone wrong. It was uh, a few weeks later where I, I took my greatest gift booklet and I, I asked one of the adults that took care of us and I asked, what is this book? Can you help me read it? Can you help me understand it? And I start, I start, as I start reading it, I see a picture of a man praying. And I'm here to tell you that's when my prayer journey began. And I started to pray that God would provide a family for me. And I prayed days. Every day I prayed. Weeks went by, still no family. Months went by, still no family. Years went by, still no family. But I kept constantly praying because that's the only thing I had left. I prayed and I prayed. And then one day I get called to the office and usually when you get called to the office, that means you did, pro- you did something wrong. So I'm walking up there and thinking, what did I do wrong? When I get there, I, I get greeted with a smile. And I, I thought that was the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> but as I sit down, she looks at me and tells me that there is a family in the United States who wants to adopt you. Now, I, at that time, I didn't know what United States was, nor did I know anything about adoption. So I just shook my head like I understood. But the next thing you know, that I'm on my first trip to the airport, away from the only home that I knew, away from the orphanage. And I go there, and when I get there, I see three white Americans. And I don't question it, and I just ran towards them, and I called them familia and gave them a hug. I called them family. Now I, now, I don't know if they understood me because I didn't know their language, nor did they know mine. So there was a little of the Google Translate used that day because there were many things that were said that day that I truly didn't understand from them. But I remember hugging them and calling them familia, and I believed that, my, that God had answered my prayers, that this is truly was going to be my family. Now, I prayed for a family. I didn't pray for a new life. But what the Lord had for me was much more than just a family. Next thing I know, I'm on on my very first airplane to my new home, United States, Texas, where I come with my new adopted family. Now, you would think that having a family solved all my problems. Well, coming to the United States was truly difficult because I didn't understand their language. I didn't understand the love of the family. and I didn't understand any of it. I had to learn the language. I had to learn who my family was going to be. I had to learn how to be at school. 
that as I'm learning all of those stuff, my shift from what the Lord had done for me, that drifted away because I was just too focused on trying to be an American, trying to be normal, trying to understand how to live here. And it's one of the smallest things, for example, I'm, I'm walking into my new home and I lay down in a chair. But then there seems to be a handle in here, so I pull it and my feet go up. I'm like, whoa, you guys got it good up here. <laughs> it's the small things that was just new to me. We didn't have that at home. So to come to this was just like, wow, this is a whole new world. So I drifted away from the Lord. I forgot what he had done for me. My parents noticed that, that they actually decided to take me on my first mission trip. Now at the time, I had a terrible attitude. I didn't want to go. I knew what video games were, so I wanted to be at home play video games. I was involved in soccer, so I wanted to be with my friends, and I wanted to play soccer. I have to do what for a week? I can't play video games for a week? What? Like, no, Dad, no, Mom. I want to stay here at home. Let me stay. Well, I ended up going. I ended up going to the, to the mission trip, and it was actually in the United States. It was to San Antonio. And as we're waiting for the kids to come for VVS that we had planted for the entire week, I'm like, okay, it's one week. I can do this. And as I'm waiting for the kids to arrive, I see them. And they're not walking. No, they're not walking. So usually when I meet someone new, I'm kind of hesitant. I don't know you, so I'm not going to get too close. But no, these kids... These boys and girls, they sprinted to you, just like I did with my family, and they gave you a hug. They gave you a hug, and that hug was not just a hug. That hug was a hug of thanks, like, thanks, thank you for loving me. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for coming to us and spending time with us and telling us about Jesus. So I look over at my friends, and there they have hugs, and the kids won't let go. I had a little girl named Rose, and she had me, she hugged me from the neck, and she would not let go. So you could imagine how worship, worship went when I tried to sing with my, with my neck being surrounded with the little girl, and I started praising. But that's the beauty of it. Those kids just wanted to be seen, loved, and cared for, just like I did in the orphanage. Just like I long for someone to love me. Just how I long for someone to care for me. Sometimes it's not about toys. It's not about something that we can get from some, a worldly thing. It's about that moment where you get to say, hey, I love you. Come here. Let me tell you about my Jesus. So that, 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 that day, I cried because I remember that that was me not long ago. And I knew my purpose was not just I had a family and I had a new life. No, no, no. There was much more than that. I did have a new family. I did have a new life. But I also had a new purpose. Tears filled, 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 tears filled my eyes that day. Because that's joy. When you get to tell kids that Jesus loves you, 
when you get to partner up with Jesus and say, hey, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to love you. That's joy. That's happiness. And that's what I got to do. And then that's, that's where my pursuit for missions began. And I started to go to many places to do missions. And one thing I didn't like about missions was the fact that it was one week. Come on, I can give you another week. I can give you another week. Why does it have to be a week? Because I, I, I want to I serve the Lord. I want to live for Jesus. So I didn't like it. Every, every trip was powerful. It was beautiful. I came home looking at life a different way, being grateful for the things that I have. And it wasn't until last year where I reunited with Samaritan's Operation Christmas Child where I decided to work, where I decided to serve there. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, so I was just like, okay, this is just another job to make a little bit more money. But as I'm walking in, I see the logo in there, and it looks familiar, but I can't wrap my mind to see what that is. So I just come in, and they start talking about the ministry, and I'm like, wait a minute. I, I do know. I, knew, I do know this shoebox. So I sprinted to the bathroom, and I cried. I said a lot of crying things. So you probably think I am an emotional guy. I am. <laughs> But I cried. Because I couldn't believe that I was in a room where people like you guys come and spend time to pack shoebox gifts. And when those shoeboxes are, are, are packed, they are sent out to kids like me. Like you guys are doing what during the day, during the night? For kids that you guys don't know. That was beautiful that sometimes at lunch I would sit and I would look look at where people were serving and that was just that that just made my heart very full so as we head into a season where we can come together and share that love that was freely given to us at the cross let's go with the heart of willingness let's go with the heart that desires to share that love with other kids the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that we are called to be the light of the world. We are called to be the light in the darkness. Because I'm here to tell you, when light shines in the darkness and that's the light of Jesus, then darkness cannot overcome it. It can't. It can't. So what better way to, partner, to be part of Samaritan's Spurs where lightness is spread all over the world? Because it's not just a red cute uh, shoebox. It's not just a shoebox. When you decide to pack a shoebox, those shoeboxes are being sent, but what's being sent out as well is the gospel. It's the love of Jesus that's going with the shoebox gift. I like to say it this way. It's not about the items within the shoebox, the shoebox but it's about what the Lord can do through a shoebox gift. It's about the message that comes across the shoebox gift. Because I love my soccer ball. I love the toys. I love the color pencils and the color books and the slinky. I loved it all. And I truly had an amazing time with my toys in the orphanage. But those things didn't come with me, quite frankly, because they didn't last that long. But what I did get to take 
from that day when I received my shoebox gift was that phrase. But it's not just a phrase. It's the truth that Moises, Jesus loves you and he sees you. I got to take that home and now I find myself wherever I go, at work, at school, at church, at the store, telling people, telling kids that, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus has a plan for you. Jesus cares for you and he sees you. He had a plan for me and I didn't even know it. I'm never, I, was, I was never alone at the orphanage. And I feel like there's moments in our life where we go to a trial and we go to a season where it feels like we are alone and that nobody sees us. No one understands what we're going through. But I'm here to tell you that there is someone that knows what you're going through and there is someone who is waiting there with you, who is being there with you, and that's Jesus. So, if you don't have time to pack a shoebox gift, if you don't have time to serve, that's okay. That's not the only way you can be part of Samaritan's First. That's not the only way you can serve. Another way to serve is praying. Because let me tell you, there is power in prayer. Because when you pray, miracles happen. When you pray, lives are changed. My life was changed, and I know that my life was changed, my, my life was changed, but also the kids in my orphanage. We actually have a picture, we painted this picture at one of our homes. That way we are reminded every day that, that, that the day we received this shoebox is the day we were loved, it's the way we were seen, not just by people like you guys, but just by our Lord and Savior. So I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing that the, uh, this is the first year you guys are, are being a drop-off location. And that's something to celebrate about because truly that means that people from other churches, from other businesses are going to come and they're going to pack shoebox gift and they're going to pick this place to drop them off. Like that's something to rejoice and let's just, ha- let's just hope that those people that are, are dropping the shoebox, shoebox gifts here are able to also come to this church, are able to dance during Spanish worship music. <laughs> let's, let's come together as one. And, and, and shine the light and share the love that was given to us. We didn't deserve that love. But we got it. So you don't have to, hear me out, you don't have to do this. But I'm here to tell you that you get to. You get to do this. You get to work together with your church and be part of this opportunity to change the lives of many boys and girls. And if you, have, if you have any idea what it feels for a little boy to receive a shoebox gift, there, you can go online and you can see many stories from that day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you now that those smiles that you see, those tears that are on those kids' faces, they're not fake. 
that real? So as I end my time speaking with you guys today, I thank you that you're able to say yes to this. Or at least my hope is that you get to say yes. Because when you get to say yes to Jesus, he's going to use you in ways that you had never imagined. Because let me tell you, I didn't, I didn't think that I, as an orphan boy, I was going to be here standing in front of you guys speaking in English. Puedo hablar español también, but let's just say I'll keep it in English today. <laughs> I, I was an orphan. I didn't know this is where I was going to be, but I am here. I'm standing in front of you guys like, wow, like that's, that's how God is. When you say yes to him, whew, he's going to use you in ways that you have not imagined. So say yes. Say yes to him. Thank you for having me. God bless you guys.